0: Hey, this is Jerry, and welcome to the New Deal podcast. For more rantings and ravings, head on over to thenewdeal.com, like the New Deal on Facebook, follow me at The Real New Deal on Twitter, or head over to the YouTube channel where multiple new minute segments are released each week. And up on YouTube right now, fresh today, is my presidential debate preview for what's sure to be a night filled with entertainment tomorrow night at 9 p.m. Eastern. Uh, that stuff's out of the way. We'll jump right in. So, I am happy to announce my first ever guest co-host on the show, uh, Mr. Kyle Andre. Uh, Kyle's a podcast producer and the host of Dragon Ball Super Dope podcast uh, about Dragon Ball. It is on Spotify, your podcast provider of choice. He also helps businesses in the realms of real estate, personal finance, and similar areas produce podcasts to help market their businesses. He kind of forced himself in after months of talking about getting a political show together pre-election. My brother was supposed to be involved too, but he's a loser, so he's not here. So Kyle is here. Um, So Kyle, why did you want to be on a political podcast?
1: So, hey, Jerry, uh, thank you for having me on the show. Um, First and foremost, yes, brother Mike, what a loser. Um, You can feel free to text me back whenever you'd like, Michael. Um, Yeah. So I was very interested in making sure that Um, You started a podcast. I help businesses around the country uh, use podcasts in an effort to promote uh, their businesses, uh, you know, kind of increase the top of the marketing funnel for them. But I'm just a big advocate of being able to, you know, help people find their voices through the power of podcasting. I've always felt that you had a very distinct voice in the realm of politics. And I know that you started to write about it and you've always been very active on political threads on Facebook. So I said, Hey, why don't we do why don't you aim to do something a little bit more productive in the uh, realm of a podcast? And, uh, you know, eventually I was just kind of greasing the skids for me to be able to come on and have my own platform to rant about politics, because as you mentioned, I, I do host a podcast about Dragon Ball, um, of all the weird things. I sometimes let my political views slip into that show. Uh, sometimes my audience likes it. Sometimes they don't, but I needed a more valid form to be able to express my opinion. So, um... Yeah, this is the long con, man. I made you set up a podcast for it, this. It, it's
0: unavoidable. When when I had my first podcast with um, Jordan Burns, The Coffee Milk Hour, w- politics invaded the podcast. And part of the reason I started this is because eventually that podcast just became all political. I, I don't think you've quite gotten there with Dragon Ball, but um, I always post a lot on Facebook and I need an outlet for that. And I've noticed that you've become very active in the Facebook uh, comment battle, so to speak. Um, so I, I don't know if that, that's fueled your, um, you know, wanting to be here on the show, but I, I definitely uh, am happy to have your voice here. Um, I know you're critical of Donald Trump, as am I. Um, yep. So just generally speaking, in what ways has the Trump presidency made you more aware of politics? Were you involved in politics prior to Trump?
1: I mean... Us growing up in you know, the uh, midst of 9-11 and the war on terror and this 20-year war in the Middle East, I feel like there's no way that you could be our age and not at least semi-aware of politics. Uh, that being said, over the last, whatever, 20 years, I guess, been mostly casual. Um, I've sort of paid attention. I felt like I've sort of paid attention more than an average person would have. But unfortunately, over these last five years, um, I can't not pay attention it's, uh, you know, like a cycle of doom scrolling and just getting these frequent barrage of news updates to the point where it's, I don't know, inundated is probably not a strong enough word. Um, overwhelmed, maybe, is a more accurate word. Um, I feel like those may be synonyms, but overwhelmed has a more negative connotation. Um, overwhelmed would be how I feel, uh, you know, about the current news cycle over the last four or five years.
0: You have no choice but to pay attention. Having been overwhelmed with politics like that and and being more involved, you know, in listening to more politics, I don't think it's ever a bad thing. But do you feel like it has, like, affected your mood, uh, you know, made you depressed? I I know that there's definitely times where, like, I am depressed because of politics. I go to bed at night thinking about politics. I wake up in the morning because something awful has happened or Trump has said something or RBG died, you know. uh, so, So has it had an effect on your mood overall?
1: I would say in certain instances, definitely it's a it's a mood changer. Um, I would say overall though, it's changed relationships with people, unfortunately. Um, and how I view certain people. Um I, I don't know if there's a a more um disheartening thing that could have come out of this administration. Sorry. I don't know if there's a more disheartening thing that could have come out of this administration, um, you know outside of, you know, all of the hor- horrendous political, you know, crimes, straight up crimes that we hear about every single day to the point where we don't even register them as crimes anymore. Um I think one of the um I think one of the more underreported things or the underthought about or not thought about enough things is that this is going to affect people's relationships with their friends and family for at least the foreseeable future. Um assuming that we come out of this on the other side uh, with a new administration, um January twentieth.
0: Has that affected your personal relationships at all, or relationships with friends or people that you thought you 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 knew, I guess? But um, and, and if so, are those relationships relationships repairable? Do you think that they always thought the way they did and were just able to hide it and feel more confident in it, or and and now that defines them? Or do you feel like it's something that can be worked through over time? And Trump is just instigating their you know worst demons. So I guess
1: the relationships that I think of when I think about relationships might be tough to build back, uh, build back better. See what I did there. (laughs) Um, Thankfully, kind of also not thankfully. I feel like a lot of them have to do with business relationships. Um, So I, as we mentioned at the top, I do podcast stuff, but you and I know, Jerry, um, you know, I should say we've been playing in bands as musicians since we were kids in your mom's basement. Um, I've always had that be, you know, one of my little side gigs playing in bars and restaurants, uh, and over, you know, whatever, 10, 12 years since I've had a Facebook account, you know, I've made friends with people who are regulars at my gigs, who are bar owners or bartenders at places that I work at. And I don't know, um, some of those people have turned out to be very pro Trump and having seen them go from you know, one end of the spectrum in 2016, you know, supporting the outside candidate because they think the establishment is corrupt and they, you know, think give the new guy a chance cause he maybe will drain the swamp. To see them go from that end of the spectrum to now in 2020, where they're just sharing, you know, propaganda stories, uh, you know, straight out of Russia or from, you know, stories that even Fox News wouldn't think to share because the journalistic credibility just isn't there. Those people are not only like so far down that rabbit hole that that's the way that they're just thinking regularly, but um, I'm also very vocal about the things I believe in and the things I'm passionate about with, you know, not everything. I try to keep a lid on it for the most part, but there are certain things that I can't stay quiet about pop off with a Facebook status and I know that they see it and they probably think, look at this libtard you know, oh, yeah. voice in uh, his liberal media bias. He's so brainwashed. What a sheeple. And, you know, post COVID when, the, when this is over and I want to get back to playing at bars and restaurants again, I kind of already have a tally going in my brain. Like where are the places I would feel comfortable reaching out to again? Who are the people that I should talk to versus the ones I shouldn't talk to? Um, I, you know, thankfully I feel like the, the, Only the business stuff has been affected with those relationships. Uh, Personally, the people in my friendship circle, for the most part, uh, you know, are pretty um, liberal-minded. I can't think of, you know, one or two. We we do have a good mutual friend who is very very much to the right, but we love his dumb ass anyway. It's, I don't think those personal relationships, thankfully nobody in my family is super right, or at least anybody in my family that I'm close to. Um, So that's not really of my concern either. Um, I just hope you know me being a libtard doesn't impact the bottom line on my business in the next few years because you know Trump gets voted out Yeah,
0: absolutely. Do do you feel like it's do you feel like it's less forgivable in 2020 for someone to vote for Donald Trump than in 2016?
1: 100%. Yeah, because in 2016 it was um a little bit of a novelty vote. It was the, you know, except that in in this case the novelty vote was for the Republican nomination like it wasn't like uh you know vote in third party because you're holding up upholding your um values or whatever this is you know somebody who doesn't have any political track record and could legitimately get in there and and shake things up to so the casual observer you know he seems to have an impressive resume he's been in the public consciousness for upwards of forty years um you know self professed billionaire um seemingly you know to again to the casual observer self made man um People who have followed him know that he is nothing but a trust fund baby and has managed to squander away an enormous amount of wealth over his career and have, you know, uh, local, state, federal governments bail him out several times over. Um, if you paid any amount of attention to him before 2016, you'd have known that. But again, everybody has a voice uh, with, a, with a vote in America. So, you know, sometimes it's a little scary to think that all of our votes are, are equal. Um, but again to somebody who is exercising their democratic right to vote and wanting to see something new. Okay, I understand that. If you've since watched all of the things that his administration has done in the last 4 years and just like the, the straight disdain for proper policy, uh procedure, um anything that is American, you know, just and I realize that a, that's a broad range of topics we could talk about it for literally days, yep. but Absolutely. If you if you've seen it and you still support him, It's because you're not paying attention again. uh, I don't forgive you for that. You should be paying attention or you're straight brainwashed. And in that case, I don't imagine you're listening to this podcast. Maybe you are. I don't know. Maybe you have some right wing trolls who check out your stuff. I'll take, Um, I'll take the hand. Just assume that. Yeah, no, download metrics are good, dude. I'll I'll talk to you about podcast stuff afterwards for sure. But I, I don't, I don't think it's forgivable to vote for him again in 2020. uh, If you got conned by the con man, I'll give you a pass. If you're now willingly saying you're going to vote for him again because you like what he's done, yeah, I, I question your um your decision making process. So for sure.
0: so I wasn't I, I didn't have this on kind of the agenda here, but ju- just because of the flow of the conversation, so I something I've really struggled with, and I don't know if if you feel the same way, but you know I grew up reading, I mean not not always more so now that I'm an adult, but you know you know you always knew what the New York Times was and what the Washington Post, Post was, um, even the Wall Street Journal you know USA today to an extent and and so you knew what the rep, reputable news outlets were and then NBC news and you know we had you know Brian Williams you know until he you know got in trouble on NBC but he he was on TV every night and um Dan Rather and and so when i was a kid i grew up with those those guys and everybody trusted those sources and i and i still personally trust most of those sources. What do you think it is about the people you know that you're talking about who, who support Trump and you know might be brainwashed? Why do you think they subscribe to, let's call them non-traditional news sources that are willing to peddle stories about, for instance, Hunter Biden recently, New York Post, and New York, a, a tabloid in New York is the only paper that ran with that story. But they think that's legitimate. They don't seem to care about the uh, institution of journalism and having to vet your sources and make sure that there's real fact behind it. So, why why do you think it's easy for them to fall into the trap, or do they really feel like everybody's against them, like in their heart of hearts?
1: I think it boils down to two words: confirmation bias. So they have these implicit biases to either like or dislike whatever political party, and they see something that supports that, and they say, "Hey, look." I'm not wrong. And it's very easy to just see a headline and click the share button. I think that's what you see more often than not when we're talking about these articles or, you know, we comment wars that we're engaging in on Facebook. It's somebody sees a headline. I bet you they don't even read the article in, you know, 80% of the cases, but it confirms their previous beliefs. So that's what makes them share it more. I think also, you know, growing up in the midst of 9-11, I remember when 9-11 happened, I, we were in different school systems at the time. My school system handled it very differently. They kind of didn't tell us what was going on, but we knew something was happening because all the teachers were freaking out and talking to each other between classes, but they wouldn't. I guess you know, in the school system that I ended up you know, going to school with you in, they, they put the televisions on and showed the kids what was happening in real time. Um, I remember getting home that day and just immediately turning on uh, two different TVs in my house to watch two different you know news coverages of the event. And I just wonder, like, people our age, um, this insi- the, not to say that 9-11 shouldn't be something that was, you know, covered in, you know, all the excruciating detail it had to be covered in. But the, um, the trauma of an event like that and having the news be like the only way or the, the, the 24-hour cable news cycle to be like the way to cope with that in the wake of it. I just think that a lot of those habits were formed then and were continued over the next 20 years. And as we became more digital and more online, obviously the mediums changed with that. Instead of cable news, it goes from, you know, blog posts or these conspiracy theory kind of uh, based websites like 4chan where these theory can be perpetuated and put out there into the public without any proper, you know, um, quality control, you know, to vet them or not. Um, at least with the cable news stations, uh, even though something like the fairness doctrine was eliminated, you know, over 40, close to 40 years ago now, um, they still have, you know, these practices and standards before they air a story, um, unchecked information sharing in the age of the internet has been, you know, the downfall of people, um, not knowing what to believe, um. It, it's unfortunate that people don't know how to vet out what a proper source is or can't do a single Google search to say, hey, who else is reporting on this ridiculous story about, you know, CP on Hunter Biden's, uh, you know, laptop or whatever. It's It's sad that people don't care enough to take the five minutes to do that. But it's a it's a combination of like. The medium in which it's presented in on your social media feed, you want that dopamine hint to have, you know, your five, 10, 15 friends agree with the thing that you posted to click your likes. You don't want to have to read the story. Who cares? But boom, the false information is further perpetuated. And it's a vicious cycle like that, that I don't think any of us really know what to do about or how to get our hands around it or control it or. Yeah, I've
0: I've noticed that so. I'll always I'll do source checking if someone posts something on Facebook or like, oh, you know, the independent or whatever. It's like, OK, what's that? It's, you know, right wing news source. But when you go Google like their headline, like nine other similar news sources will come up and there's this whole section of right wing media. So it looks like, oh, look at all these places that are reporting on it. It's not The New York Times. It's not The Washington Post. It's, you know. Strange websites that I, you know, most I haven't heard of, um, but it's almost like confirmation bias for your confirmation bias. So, uh, mm-hmm. so, so yeah, but I, I mean, I appreciate your insight on that. Um, I want to switch over uh, to the news. And like I talked about last week, I keep coming back to COVID first. There are other things going on in the world. There are, maybe you could argue, bigger stories. Uh, There's a, you know, Trump has a China account. There's missing kids. We've got a debate coming up. But COVID is persistent, and I think it remains the biggest threat to us in the nation. As of uh, yesterday, I believe, 33 out of the 50 United States were now in the red zone for COVID. Uh, That's the highest it's ever been. Uh, Spread is kind of, unmitigated right now um because we're subscribing to herd immunity i guess and so, so we don't have we don't have a great handle on this and yet president trump thinks we are you know potentially rounding the corner uh, so i just want to play a clip here of donald trump uh and and you know just for everyone to hear for themselves and right now I'm fighting to eradicate the virus and we're doing really a good job. We're rounding the turn. You see what's going on in Europe? It's flaming up. So Donald, Donald Trump thinks that we are rounding the turn on COVID in the U.S. And he's saying, oh, look at Europe. Europe is flaring up as 33 states in the U.S. are now in essentially uh, a, a critical state. Hospitals are filling up. ICUs are filling up. We're not even in flu season yet. The weather is still relatively nice out. Even up here in the Northeast, people can still go outside. You can still pretty safely practice social distancing. And yet we're we're really not making any progress. It's getting worse. And I, I think I talked about in one of the, the new minutes earlier this week that this could get really, really bad. We've never seen COVID in a flu season. It hasn't happened. So Donald Trump is has embraced herd immunity. He which is basically let everybody get it. Let the people who are going to die, die. Everyone else will develop an, an immunity to it because you'll, you'll get the antibodies, even though the science has shown that you can get COVID more than once. And then, then it'll be fine. It'll, it'll, it'll wipe itself out essentially if we don't do anything. So um, I was just wondering Kyle, what your thoughts on herd immunity are. And do you feel like um, you're, you're ready to become herd immune? Are you up to the task? And, and, After that, where should we go? I just think it's kind of funny
1: that, you know, at the same time he's ripping Europe for a rise in COVID cases. He's like not really considering the fact that the weather is about to change here as well. And things will also get worse here. It's it's almost like, you know, we can point at the other guy right now and say, you know, it's so much worse over there. Uh, Ha ha ha. We must be doing better. And that's so not the case. Um, In terms of the idea of adopting herd immunity, um, Scott Atlas, a a non-infectious disease expert. A radiologist. um, Can I I swear on your show? (laughs) Yeah. Scott Atlas can go fuck himself, okay? He knows exactly what he's doing. He knows that he's not qualified to handle this predicament, but he knows it puts him in close proximity to the administration and it gives him an additional amount of power. Um, I don't think he's even practiced in the field of radiology for over a decade, so the fact that he somehow has worked his way up to the task force uh, level that he has, is it's seriously mind-blowing. The idea of herd immunity is flawed for at least, you know, a a couple of reasons. One, it doesn't really take into account, um, you know, all of the people at risk. I mean, they say we'll ask them to shelter in place and kind of, you know, stay out of harm's way if they can, but... How do you expect people to realistically be able to do that um, and still or, or not have it ultimately impact their lives? Um, then we've got the idea of herd immunity being like the end all be all cure. Uh, I mean, a lot of the reports say if you get it you you could be prone to getting it again within three to four months like there's no long term proof that that would be a solution right. so in the midst of us trying to find that out, how many people would die i I don't know, but I assume that their ideal situation would be, you know, fully embrace the idea of herd immunity. There are no more restrictions. We don't need masks. I heard something that, like, Scott Atlas is promoting the idea. If you, if you get it, you're good. You'll have the antibodies. Yep, And like, he says,
0: don't, don't wear a mask. Don't, he said, do not wear a mask. And I thought I saw last week that Dr. Deborah Burks, who was on the COVID task force with Anthony Fauci, asked for Scott Atlas to be removed from the task force because— he's saying things like don't wear a mask and we'll work toward herd immunity. And like you said, he hasn't practiced medicine in a decade. Meanwhile, Trump is calling Fauci a disaster at his campaign rallies. And, you know, did you hear that leaked audio from that phone call of him calling him? An yes. idiot? Yep.
1: So two points on that one, the, the, the sound of Trump's voice. dude. <laughs> I don't think that guy's fully out of the woods yet for sure. Yep. Like he does not sound great. But secondly, It's so obvious to me that it just slipped out of his mouth that he did not mean to call this dude an idiot, but he was probably feeling whatever way, whatever mood, you know, in late, early morning, whatever it was, an idiot just came out and he realized it and he tried so desperately to course correct. But then at the end of it, he goes, and if anyone's got a record around, that's fine. I'll stick to my words. And
0: and I mean, he really doesn't care. It's 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 all about him. And he's been upset with Fauci most of the time. And at first they clearly tried to hide it. They tried to walk the tightrope and that that's failed. And it's just crazy to me, again, with the people who kind of subscribe to the, you know, right wing media that think the president of the United States who's most famous for owning a hotel in New York City and appearing on The Apprentice that guy knows more than a not, not not just an epidemiologist an epidemiologist who is 80 I believe he's 80 years old or or older and has worked his entire life like literally a full lifetime in epidemiology and yet no no we're we're going to believe Donald Trump who he was on The Apprentice. He knows everything there is to know uh, about the virus.
1: The same people who believe that he knows more about you know, infectious disease are the same people who saw him in the debate in 2016 and saw him say, I know more about this than the generals do. It, the, the same people who believed that believe him now. But For whatever reason, they, because of their perception of his success, they think that he can do no wrong and they think that he must know something that we don't know. And I know that we have a plan to talk about, um, you know, some of the QAnon stuff toward the end of the show, but it's the people who subscribe to those types of theories hold him up in this, like, hero, godlike position. And, you know, those are probably a lot of the same people we'd call cultists or whatever. Um, it's just the horse blinders that are put on once they decide that this is their guy is it's truly remarkable. I can't think of anyone else who's got that much, you know, um, on. I, I can't think of anyone else that has that many diehards who would not abandon him. Like he said it best. I could shoot a dude on Fifth Ave, and not lose a single vote. He was so
0: correct. He, about he that. was. That's the craziest thing is that he said at the beginning of the election and they still fell in line, even though he he basically said, I will brainwash you. And they said, OK, brainwash us. And, and there it is. And it, it's a little bit crazy. I don't usually speak in such strong terms, but that's exactly what happened. I mean, this is a guy who has exhibited, you know, pretty, pretty constant examples of racist, uh, racist behavior. He's he he's, you know, made fun of handicapped people. He's, you know, made racist remarks, uh, whether it's about Africa or about Baltimore or about, you know, groups like Black Lives Matter. And I've actually got, um, you know, some clips of that that I'd like to share a little bit later um, with him. You know, b- because tr- Trump thinks he's done a lot for the black community, but we, we're, we're in these situations where he's literally done everything you can do wrong as a politician and more, and we're, we're talking about him potentially winning an election against a candidate who has a lifetime of experience, so it's, uh, it's frustrating, but I'm going to move on from COVID because we do have some other stories, and I talk about COVID a lot, but I I really feel like we failed with COVID.
1: I, uh, well, I mean, we're going to come back to COVID anyway in this top five thing where I cry. Right, about exactly. Stuff,
0: so. So, um, so So, we had breaking news that Trump has a bank account in China. So the New York Times reported that Trump, under the business Trump Hotels International LLC, has this bank account linked to China. In 2017, that company saw $17 million in revenue, which was more than the last five years combined that they had seen. So again, just to reiterate, they had never made this much money. But the year that Trump took office, they made $17 million. And even more intriguing is that Trump immediately withdrew $15 million from that account. Um, The New York Times said the foreign accounts do not show up on Mr. Trump's public financial disclosures, where he must list personal assets because they're held under corporate names. So that's a loophole. The identities of the financial institutions are not clear. So we still don't know. The Chinese account is controlled by the hotel uh, LLC. The tax records of that company show that they paid, that company, $188,561 in taxes in China. Remember, a couple of weeks ago, we found out that Trump only paid seven hundred and fifty dollars in America. Trump pays more in taxes to the country of China than he does to the United States of America. So, if you believe America, yeah, America, America, exactly. first. America first, Jerry, exactly, America first. Unless it's China. In twenty seventeen, the company I just went over that made the seventeen million, and he and he withdrew fifteen million. That the the reason that those numbers are important is because we, we don't know where the $17 million came from. They said that some of that, about $6 million, may have been from the sale of a New York hotel, but the rest is unaccounted for, which means we do not know why the president of the United States suddenly made $17 million upon taking the presidency, and then he withdrew $15 million, and we don't know where the $15 million went. There is... A possibility that that $15 million went into a campaign, went into a campaign fund, which means that he may be taking, literally, foreign donations through a proxy, uh, his this, this, you know, Hotel International LLC. So, and we learned last week that the president owes somewhere in the realm of $400 million to somebody, some people, that... Yeah, it's some people,
1: but it's peanuts. Four hundred million—that's like mattress money. It's just peanuts, and you. To a rich guy like that,
0: what's crazy to me is that he said in, the debate that he probably owes some some of it to foreign countries. Probably, I don't know. Probably,
1: and that just floated it out there, and that's what he always does: is he floats out the possibility. People aren't sure if they should take him seriously or not, and then when it comes to light that it's actually the case, people are like well, he, he kind of said this, so what are we going to do?
0: And, you know, it, it's man it's And, and to me, it's like, isn't just the pure suggestion that he might owe money to a foreign country enough? Like, why are we guessing? Why are we not saying, oh, no, 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 we need to figure out right now or you're gone. But, but, but we're so tepid. Um, n- not necessarily you or me, but th- there, there's not... Part of what's really upset me about the Democrats in general even through the Obama years, especially with Merrick Garland, is that we never make a big enough deal out of things to the point where, like, the rest of the country catches on. We're always—we always allow ourselves to be labeled crybabies or, you know, paranoid people or or whatever, and we never fight back. And and I'm not sure what the answer is to that uh, because— well,
1: I don't know if there is a, an easy answer to it, but like even though the labels will come as they may, what always drives me bananas is that they, is they always make the active, the concerted effort to try to take the high road and be like, we're we're still gonna show up to this confirmation hearing, even though we know that it's a sham and a bunch of BS. Like they they refuse to take a stand, despite them knowing that they be they've been given a raw deal, and. Whenever they've got the opportunity to try to, you know, push back a little bit and exert some force on these people to try to do better or do the right thing for us as Americans, they just say, you know what, we're trying to get along with everybody. We want to make sure that we can, you know, get things together on both sides of the aisle and not have this be, uh, you know, a partisan thing. But no matter how many times they take that stance— Republicans still say "fuck Democrats," like it's the most maddening thing in the world. When are they going to learn? It's like Charlie Brown, you know, consistently having the football pulled out uh, from him by Lucy. Exactly. It's like
0: our 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 wanting to be to go high, essentially. You know, don't go low, go high. Gets us in more trouble sometimes than it's worth. I don't know if you caught any of the Amy Coney Barrett confirmation hearing, but our senator Sheldon Whitehouse, in the second day, laid out like he had poster boards and slot like with with him, like physical poster boards. He was like moving them one at a time and his, the whole half hour he spent showing from point A to point Z here, here are the institutions that are selecting judges for nomination. Here are the shadow corporations that are funding those, those selections. Here's how they have power within the government here. Here's proof that their agenda is to, you know, fight, uh, you know, To to repeal Roe v. Wade and to, uh, you know, repeal the Marriage Equality Act. Here's all the proof of that. And he laid all of that out extremely skillfully, like a lawyer, like a lawyer would. He's a lawyer and he laid it out like a lawyer. And Lindsey Graham's response, like, because Graham spoke right after him was, well, you know, on the left, you know, Planned Parenthood is throwing tons of money at the Democrats. And it's like Planned Parenthood is not the same as a shadow corporation with nameless donors providing millions and millions of dollars to get judges appointed to the Supreme Court, Planned Parenthood is just saying, "Like, hey, we'd like you know to provide medical services and birth control to you know American women out there." You know, they're they're not putting judges on the court,
1: but it's an easy scapegoat to point to. They can say, "Hey, you know, look at all these corporations basically funneling in money to be able to buy you know whether it's court appointments or Senate appointments, whatever, uh, Senate elections." It's it's maddening for them to be able to say, "Well, what about Planned Parenthood?" and just automatically have it be, you know, that um, I don't, I don't think it counts as a dog whistle, but it's an automatic point of contention for anybody on the right because one of the founding, you know, ideological beliefs of the right is we don't believe in abortion; we're pro-life. So automatically, it galvanizes everybody on the right to say, "Yeah, but what about you know, what about isms?" A very real thing on this. Planned Parenthood donating to Democratic candidates has literally nothing to do. It's it's like you said, it's two completely different things. They're not even in the same
0: realm or universe. And and again, we don't seem to challenge it. So it just, you know, Sheldon Whitehouse puts in what I'm assuming is hours and hours and hours of research to make an extremely well presented. Presentation about shadow money in the Supreme Court nomination process and Lindsey Graham doing no research at all, nothing is just like, well, Planned Parenthood. And that is enough for some Republicans. And I've tried, I, I've been trying to be careful about saying all Republicans in relation to anything kind of Trump related, because I have found that a lot of Republicans I grew up with, um, especially, are not Trump supporters. They've distance themselves over the years. So I've been trying to be better about making the distinction that I can give some Republicans credit for being sensible human beings. So
1: so that's that's all good and fine. I've run into that same type of thing myself, but um, my question for you is, do you think that they're going to vote for Joe in a couple of weeks?
0: I, I do think they will vote for Joe. I think at least the people I know, I think will vote for Joe because I think I think if a Republican is turned off enough by Donald Trump that they won't vote for him it's because he's literally so bad that he is a danger to the democracy you know he's he's not palatable even if he supports their policies and i feel like if you dislike a candidate that much you're going to vote for the most reasonable option you're not going to vote for like you know Jorgenson um and and again we'll, we'll we'll get to that later um but I really do think that they will vote for Joe. I think you'll get some people out there voting for Kanye. And I think you'll get some people out there voting for third party candidates or write-ins. And I think you'll have some people not show up, but I think, I I think let's call them the Lincoln project Republicans. They're all voting for Joe Biden.
1: Yep. Yeah, I can see that. And the Lincoln project, uh, you know, any year outside of this year would typically not be a friend of ours, but, um, you know, they definitely see that Democratic values are at stake here. Um, for those who think that Trump respects those Democratic values, um, those American values, the things that have made us, you know, a standout country, and most powerful country in the world over the last 200 years. I kindly ask you to reexamine. Right. And and I've
0: actually directed people to the Lincoln Project like, hey, I know you're a conservative, but you should check out the Lincoln Project. They're all Republicans. And here's all the reasons they're voting for Joe Biden. So, You know, I'm hoping that um, that we'll see some turnover there. I I do want to skip before we get to kind of the feature segment at the end, which is our five reasons to change your Trump vote. We I want to get into the debate because we have a debate tomorrow, probably maybe so far we have a debate. I, you know, Trump could could pull out any minute. Biden could pull out any minute because I don't think Biden has a reason to debate, to be completely honest. But. So the debate topics came out and I'm just going to run down the list. We've got COVID-19, American families, race in America, climate change, national security and leadership. Trump's campaign came out and said that he thought that these categories were unfair because they were promised it would be all foreign policy and that the current categories that I just named off favor Joe Biden. And I just want everyone to think about that real quick. Donald Trump is saying that if you talk about COVID-19, if you talk about racism, if you talk about climate change, leadership, national security, or American families, those are advantage Joe Biden. If you were the president of the United States and you don't feel like you can confidently speak on the most pressing issues in the country, American families, leadership, and racism, should you be the president? Short answer, Gerald no no you should. I, you know think. sometimes i appreciate the short answer I, I i really like it because it means that people still have common sense um well, so I'm, I'm interested about this debate for a couple of reasons um and, and again we've heard a lot about COVID 19 but there are two areas specifically where i'm interested to hear actually what trump says i know what i'm getting with biden and but but trump is the wild card and so the first is race in america because donald trump thinks he's done well for especially black people in the country. And, and yet we haven't seen a lot of action, any help for black communities at all. So before I get into what I want to say, uh, here's a clip of Donald Trump speaking about uh, what he's done for black people. Many of those who are spreading violence in our cities are supporters of an organization called Black Lives Matter or BLM It's really it's really hurting the black community it's hurting the black community The stated goal of BLM organization people is to achieve the destruction of the nuclear family abolish the police abolish prisons abolish border security Abolish capitalism and abolish school choice. That's what their stated goals are. So Black Lives Matter wants to destroy the nuclear family. They want to abolish police. Uh, The things he just listed off there, he might as well name a terrorist organization, if we're being honest. But Donald Trump thinks, he literally said at the debate last week that no other president has done more for black people than him besides maybe Abraham Lincoln.
1: <laughs> that's, that's one of his favorite catchphrases, though. Nobody's done more for, for them except maybe. Exactly. Except maybe and, and it's crazy. Stage.
0: So I just wanted to read off real quick here. If you go to blacklivesmatter.com and you go to about, you will find the following. Here are the, is their mission statement summarized. We are expansive. We are a collective of liberators who believe in an inclusive and spacious movement. We affirm the lives of black, queer, and trans folks, disabled folks, undocumented folks, folks with records, women, and all black lives along with the gender spectrum. We are working for a world where black lives are no longer systematically targeted for demise, and we affirm our humanity, our contributions to this society, and our resilience in the face of deadly oppression. That's their mission mission statement. I don't see anything about abolishing the police, abolishing the family, you know, taking over America. I don't see anything about that. So I just want to make it really clear that Donald Trump really likes to mischaracterize, especially Black Lives Matter, um, groups that are out there fighting for, you know, equality for uh, you know, oppressed people in this country. Um, and yet he thinks he's done more for them than any other president. How do you feel about that?
1: Um, I feel like uh, Homeboy is a liar. Um, very evidently, he does not care about black and brown people. I think what drives me nuts about um, his characterization of BLM, and it kind of goes like back and forth because Black Lives Matter is actually an organization um, that's you know nationwide, and we've got chapters locally. Um, you know, th- there's like a, a sh- an organizational structure to it. But what he likes to do is knowing that people see, you know, Black Lives Matter protests in the wake of, you know, George Floyd, um, knowing that that's what people on Fox News are going to see on television or, or any news station in general, but Fox News viewers specifically in this case, he knows that they see those crowds and it's largely, you know, black people. What he'll do then is he'll go out on the campaign trail, or he he's done it during the debates. Um, you know, when asked to denounce white nationalism, he decided instead to ask Joe Biden to denounce Antifa. Problem with that is that we know Antifa is not a formal organization, but he still uses it as a generic sort of boogeyman for him to be able to scapegoat. And when people see Black Lives Matter uh, um, protests on you know the news, on television, whatever. Um, and they see Donald Trump taking these big broad swipes at the big Antifa boogeyman. They're kind of conflating the two, and I feel like that kind of perpetually, you know, is going to further perpetuate um, nonsense between, uh, you know, right wing activists, we'll call them. Uh, I feel like that's a pretty
0: yeah, yeah way definitely. to say it.
1: Versus left wing, um, you know, protesters, right.
0: and that makes perfect sense. Um, so, so I, I, I'm interested during the debate to see how Donald Trump kind of defends that record, especially if. Joe Biden's able to push him on it or if the moderator pushes him on it, although he'll say, you know, that's unfair. And, you know, you know, liberal media is attacking him again. Um, and, And the other thing that I'm interested to hear his perspective on is leadership because, because despite everything he's done, I have no clue what Donald Trump actually thinks about leadership. I don't know what his leadership style is. I would expect him to say, well, if I say it, that's what I want to happen because I feel like that's his leadership style, but I've never heard him actually expand upon what, he believes leadership means. So I'm a little bit interested to see how that segment goes. Uh, the, the last thing I'm interested in tomorrow's night's debate, sorry, sorry tomorrow night's debate is, is what Joe Biden might say on the SCOTUS nomination. Last week at Biden's town hall, he promised that prior to the election, he would give an answer on whether or not there would be court packing. Uh, whether or not he supports it. And I've said, I don't think it's a question he should answer. I think it's smart that he doesn't answer it. However, he said he would give an answer. So, um, and I, I just want to play that clip here uh, for us. I have not been a fan of Pat Co- uh, court packing because I think it just generates what will happen. Every, whoever wins, it just keeps moving in a way that is inconsistent with what is going to be manageable. So you're still road. not a fan? Well, I'm not a fan. I don't say, I, it depends on how this turns out. Not how he wins, but how it's handled. If they vote out before the election, you are open to expanding the court? I'm open to considering what happens from that point on. You know, you've said so many times during the campaign, all through the course of your career, it's important to level with it the It is. American but George, if I if I say no, no, no matter what answer I gave you, if I say it. That's the headline tomorrow. It won't be about what's going on now, the improper way they're proceeding. But don't voters have a right to know where you they stand? They do have a right to know where I stand, and they'll have a right to know where I stand before they vote. So you'll come out with a clear position before election day? Yes. So, so there, there you have it. It, 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 it. He didn't hesitate, he just said yes. Um, and, and just for everyone listening, I'm a big fan of political strategy. I, I like thinking about political strategy. I think the fact that Joe Biden understands that Donald Trump tries to control the headlines and is able to kind of push that off is the smartest thing that campaign can do. And I think he realizes this is a push-button issue that Donald Trump can seize on going into the election. However, he he's put himself in a position where he has to answer, and I'm hoping that he's just kind of hedging his bet thinking so many people will vote early that by the time he says what he says, the votes have been cast. but. Too late, can't change your mind. It, it, exactly. Now, but I mean, just I know what my my stance on this is um for court packing, but what is, what is your stance on the potential for court packing? And do you think Biden should answer this question publicly?
1: Personally, no, I don't think he should. Um, and I'd say that for a couple I mean, I guess it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things, because should we find ourselves in a situation where he finds himself needing to add, you know, I think they say picking it from what nine to fifteen. Is that the number that they they? It's talked been all about, over nine to
0: eleven, nine to fifteen.
1: No one knows. So whatever he ultimately decides to do in the wake of the Amy Coney Barrett, you know, confirmation, um, I, I don't think it would be right for him to make that a, a voting issue at this point. Anybody who's paying attention knows that that's something that they need to consider right now. Anybody who's you know even on the on the peripherals of all of this. Uh, maybe they don't pay attention to the news as often as you or I do, but they know that a new Supreme Court justice is going to be appointed and there could be some immediate ramifications uh, should Joe Biden win and, you know, he looked to, you know, pack the court, as we're calling it. Um, I don't think it makes sense for him to come out and, as you say, you know, take away from the headlines of all the egregious shit that Trump is doing right now. Why would he even look to make that uh, an issue to, you know, polarize Republicans and get them more uh, motivated to get out there and vote than they already are? Um, I think it'd be smart for him to, to not say it one way or the other. I think we know that given the circumstances, it's something that he should at least look into. I don't know if it's ultimately, um, you know, the way that they should look to go because it sets a very dangerous precedent. And, And like you said, in that clip he played, you know, it just starts the eternal game of back and forth. You know, are we are going to remove, we're we going to add, how we make this, how do we make this um Supreme Court, you know, in our favor, and that's going to be determined by whatever, you know, part of the administration is every four to eight years. That's a that's a dangerous precedent. I don't know if I like that idea, but you know, given the fact that we've had now two Supreme Court picks, you know, held back from the Democrats from being able to appoint them, not because you know, we did anything wrong or because they weren't, you know, solid qualified appointees, but just because Republicans decided to play their own fucking game. I think that that needs to be seriously considered for them to say, you know, outright, I'm not going to pack the courts or we're not going to consider it. That's another good example of them, you know, taking the high road because we know if the shoe was on the other foot, the Republicans would look to do that in a heartbeat. So,
0: don't yeah, rule Well, and I've said this before. Prior to, and, and part of this is on the Democrats, but I don't put full blame there because they said this would not apply to Supreme Court justices. But Mitch McConnell held up so many federal judges um, to, the, to the circuit courts that Chuck Schumer decided to invoke the nuclear option so that they could vote along party lines to approve judges at the federal level because Mitch McConnell held up, I think it was over 200. So essentially, you're short staffing the Justice Department at that point. So Schumer was like, we need to work around this is ridiculous 50 votes for a for a judge. We, we have to do it. Then the Republicans, when the opening came up for Merrick Garland, said, Well, you know what? We're going to invoke the nuclear option for Merrick Garland. We only need 50 votes. Um, and so they they blocked Garland, and then they were allowed to vote along party lines for Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and now Amy Coney Barrett. I think we need a constitutional amendment that says. You need 60 votes to approve a Supreme Court justice to the court, because if you get 53 Republicans in the Senate, you need seven Democrats to go along with you. And if you need that many Democrats to go along with you, then you're probably nominating a more moderate judge, both sides, both of them. But we've allowed this party line stuff to happen. And uh, I think that's where the real danger is. We'll, We'll see if that changes. I don't know if it will.
1: I think that's fair. I think that makes sense to at least consider, um, you know, changing the the minimum votes required because again, it implies a more moderate sort of candidate. I think the other thing that they really need to consider too is is term limits for the Supreme Court. Um, the fact that it's a lifetime appointment and they're you know considering confirming somebody who served in the federal circuit for less than ten years, uh, who you know could be there realistically for the next four, maybe five right. decades. Uh, you know, that's not even considering, you know, medical advancements and shit. Let's see how well Amy Coney Barry looks, uh, Barrett looks in 40 years, you know, with, with medical advancements that she'll have access to. She could be on that court for a lifetime appointment for like 70 years. Who knows, oh, and that's man? That's the other
0: dangerous game that's being played. You've you, You've appointed a judge who only has three years of federal circuit experience, but the reason they do it is because she's young. She can be on the court forever. So are we really willing to trade off experience and expertise- just so that you can essentially hold a political position on the court for 10, 20 more years than a more seasoned judge would. Uh, it's, we we are definitely playing politics with the Supreme Court. I don't think there's any way Especially
1: wrong. when it's so apparent. It's so apparent too. That's the other thing that really drives me bananas is so clear what they're doing in appointing this or nominating this person is, is exactly what you said. And for us to try to have to you know, go along with it like it's a valid nomination, and that they aren't turning the Supreme Court into a, a partisan body of of politics or, or of government. It's, I don't know, man. Like, it, it bothers me that people are so apt to just go along and kind of normalize this as we continue to try to work with these crazy people. It's, it's not. Cool. I
0: completely agree. Is um, but before we move on to the five reasons to abandon your Trump vote, Kyle, Kyle's version of that. Do you have any other issues that are near and dear to your heart that you want to talk about that we haven't talked about yet this episode? Or do you just want to jump right in?
1: Well, yeah, so the idea for this episode when me and Jerry first got together to talk about this is um I wanted to come on his show so that way I would have a little bit of a platform to to pitch about some political politics or political topics rather that are near and dear to my heart um that I don't feel like I should go off on at, on on my show because uh you know, they kind of get bits and pieces of it. I'm I'm sure that it turns some people off to an extent, but I also do feel um like my listeners for Dragon Ball Super Dope should get a little bit uh more of an informed opinion. So I'm on uh, the new deal today to talk to you about my five reasons uh you know to not vote Trump or abandon your Trump vote, and then we're gonna have Jerry on my show next week to talk about five wait. reasons to yeah probably a more um positive version of this list i imagine i told jerry when we hooked up uh for this this earlier today that i'm gonna bring you know the things that i'm angry and passionate about to to on my show to your show today and you can bring like the calm well thought out rationale to um political topics to super dope next week for my for my listeners so um there are a lot of things that like I, I sent you that picture of my, my notepad the other day and we, we exchanged yep. the comment. Like there's just so many things to so list many. that we can't, can't possibly talk about them all. Um, so the five that, you know, I've got here, I feel particularly passionate about the one that I didn't work in, um, is, you know, immigration policy and kids in cages and 545, uh, missing kids from their families. Yep. Like it's, oh man, it's, how about uh, forced hysterectomies um, in these tension centers? Uh, it's, that's one thing that I could, I have a car alarm going off somewhere in my neighborhood. All right, it's over. That's one thing that I feel particularly uh, passionate about and, and angry about, but I also don't feel like I'm the most qualified person in the world to yell about it. But that's one thing that deeply, deeply bothers me that we're probably not going to talk about a ton and, um, and more, more to you know, come in the duration yep. of the episode but yeah for sure but that's the one thing
0: that yeah.
1: but um yeah man i guess uh, my my number 5 or starting from 5 to 1 uh we we've already talked about covid a little bit in this episode but botched covid response What's that? is my number yeah what is that so what really bothers me about covid and and we're starting with covid because it kind of you know unfortunately frames everything that we'll be talking about in some way, shape or form. It, it impacts it. So, um, what drives me bananas about COVID is I remember the day I heard about coronavirus, I was taking a shower. It was the week between, uh, new year's and Christmas. Uh, so I think it was around like the 28th, 29th of December. And I was listening to some, you know, daily news pod that I'd heard about. And it talked about this, you know, virus outbreak in China. And I remember thinking like, that sounds scary. Good thing I'm in yep. America. And then I didn't hear a ton about it for the next 30 to 45 days. And then, you know, in mid-February, news started to pick up a little bit more about it internationally. And uh, the week prior to um, St. Patrick's Day is where everything started to get locked down nationally, definitely around here. Um, I was supposed to play St. Patrick's Day, my acoustic gig, but never, never got there. March 16th, that was um, the
0: exact day, yep.
1: What sucks is that we had so much warning. We had so much um, you know, precedent to be able to follow in terms of other countries and how they'd reacted to it and dealt with things in the previous weeks. We had other people's experience to go off of. Not a ton, but enough to be able to say this is a good decision versus not a good decision to make. And all of the countries who have you know, navigated it more successfully, um, they decided to, you know, A, do uh, the most logical thing and listen to scientists um i feel like the the science denial um is something that is pervasive in this trump administration but and it always has been i mean i think primarily it would have taken the form of climate control um or climate change um but now it's you know kind of on full display um in in the coronavirus yep. handling or mishandling of this pandemic so um we also had, you know, the economic impacts that were being made in, in these countries or, or what people foresaw could be the economic impact and the safeguards that they put in place to be able to kind of overcome those, um, you know, delaying, uh, you know, putting a, a pause on mortgage payments and rent and, uh, you know, giving these people a stipend to be able to live off of, to be able to, you know, keep their economy going, essentially, um, despite people having to live in some form of lockdown to be able to contain it. Um, the politicization of science, um, whether to wear a mask or not, has just been the most mind-blowing thing in the world to me about this
0: entire it's, thing. Um, it's do, crazy what, because every all the people that refuse to wear masks point to very early on Dr. Fauci saying, you know, we don't need masks right now. You know, it's important to get the PPE out to the hospitals. They had a shortage of N95 masks. They didn't want people buying them up off the shelves. Once that problem's resolved, they said you should wear a mask. And everybody said, well, not everybody, but a lot of people, a lot of Trump supporters said, well, they said we don't need a mask. And they have been pointing to that even, even now, even through months and months of uh, you know the data that shows that the masks work. That, that type of thing is, is crazy.
1: It's a statement out of context that it's very convenient yep. for them to be able to point back to. And I think. A lot of that decision making in in him saying we're not sure if masks work or not they're not fact effect- uh, they're not effective. Uh, right. However, he worded it back then was driven by we don't want to you know have a, everybody run out of their house to the hardware store or wherever to go buy up N95 masks because there could be risk of a shortage for medical professionals in this country. We don't want to do that when we don't even have data back that you know um, reinforces the idea that this is going to safely protect right. people. One thing that drives me bananas about the science deniers is that um, they're, they're like, they don't seem to know what they're talking about. That's a different thing all the time. Like, yeah, you know, it's a thing that we haven't dealt with or experienced before. And as we learn more about it, the ways in which we are going to handle it are going to change. That's why there's updated information and in, and in different things. I'm sorry you don't want to have to pay attention and, and learn about what the latest update is and that, you know, it's, it's you want to just know if it's, you know still going on or if it's over or not and you're tired of checking the news i can understand that like not you know non-sarcastically um but to say you know they don't know what they're talking about their ideas change or whatever they're telling us to change is is happening all the time it it very frustrating those are people that you know you try to engage sometimes and you just
0: realize and it's it's so hard because you know it, it is it's a brand new virus there's no playbook for this you know at first, we didn't even know how it spread. Does it spread on surfaces? Wash, you know, wash your hands. You know, make sure that you know don't contact other people. They didn't know if it was airborne. They literally didn't quite know how this spread. I remember at one point, like maybe in April or May, they were like, "Oh, you know, they they tested the floor in a hospital, and like there was COVID all over the floor." You know, and it's like, oh, okay, so, you know, this thing can live on surfaces now. And then they learn that even though it can live on surfaces, it doesn't necessarily spread really well on surfaces, but you don't have the data until you have the data. So, you know, I think with anything else, you start as strict as possible and then you adjust as necessary. And whenever they made an adjustment, a lot of people saw that as them admitting a mistake rather than making a positive change. And I think that's a lot of what we continue to see along the, in the realm of science denial um, is what would you have done differently here? Um, I would have obviously preferred that they, um, you know,
1: put in the financial safeguards, but also, you know, just take into consideration science. Um, science is good. Don't downplay or sow dissent among um, people's uh, opinions of the scientists who are putting out this information and trying to give people uh, you know ways or suggestions on how to stay healthy. Um I also would have preferred a more robust uh, you know testing situation. Um, a contact tracing situation. Like things that companies or excuse me things that countries have um you know implemented to help successfully navigate probably not the right word because we're seeing spikes again but mitigate as much as possible. Like w- we didn't even care to do that and what drove me nuts about the early days of it was so much um, emphasis was put on like you know lack of um, you know PPE and lack of ventilators and Trump just was like yeah Defense Production Act I'm I'm ramping it up and he and he didn't really no, do not that at all. actually he didn't touch it ne- never once he said he did it like three or four times and he never actually did he did end up having several other you know large companies in our country step up to do it because he wasn't mandating them to do it. And they're like, well, we expected you to maybe mandate us to do this. So we're, we're here to do it. And he's like, all right. oh, good. This is me enacting the defense. Look what I, did. Act, I guess. Thank
0: you for your, you know, <laughs> voluntary manufacturing, yeah. uh, charity.
1: It's it's so much was put, so much emphasis was put on that in the beginning, that once it was sort of, at least from the ventilators, you know, solved from that perspective to the point where we're, you know, continuing to export them. Like he says, I don't understand why. Um, I I guess, He didn't really have his eyes on the long-term ramifications and was just, you know, as he is with anything, not just COVID, um, he's just obsessed with that day's news cycle. And once he's got one thing checked off his list, he can consistently go back to that thing and say, look what I did. I got the ventilators. Look what Fauci said back in March. He said masks weren't good. That's going to be like on his go-to, you know, list of sound bites that he can cue up at his weird cult rallies with his stupid dances. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god, what a terrible dancer. Yeah,
0: I dancer. watched him dance to the YMCA the other day. It was great. <laughs> oh man, and that's the thing. That's a dance that
1: comes with instructions and he couldn't even fucking nope, figure that one out. Awful. Um, But yes, I would have just liked you know, more common sense from both a scientific and a fiscal perspective as opposed to, it's not real. Oh, it is real? It's not going to hurt us. Oh wait, it did hurt us? Well, I've got access to all the best medical care at Walter Reed, so... It's good now. We all got to bless together, from God. meaning me. Oh, my God, man. It drives me bananas. But yeah, you know, more science, more responsible fiscal policy, less. I, I don't think it's going to happen to me. Um, oh, wait, it did? Oh, well, I'm the president, not a big I deal. I want to talk
0: about the, but, but before we get to the voter suppression stuff, I just want to preface everything yeah. real quick because there's so much going on now. When Trump took office, we were all worried about Russia and the House and the Senate. Both ran committees to see how we can further protect our elections in the United States. And they all found that there, there was interference in the election, that there would be attempts to meddle in the election. And for three years, and even through the Mueller report, where Robert Mueller also acknowledged these same things, there has been no attempt to fund uh, safeguards for our election process. So for three years with Donald Trump in office, despite knowing that our elections have been interfered with and all 17 defense agencies saying so, this administration has made no attempt whatsoever to make our election process safer, which opens the door for Louis DeJoy and what you're about to talk about with the GOP ballot harvesting in California. So with the, I mean, you could do everything right,
1: you know, in terms of getting your vote back and they've, you know, from state to state, they've set up these ridiculous requirements. Um uh, when I say that, I think of the naked ballot issue that they're experiencing in Pennsylvania, where if you don't, um, put your ballot into your secrecy envelope and then back into the other envelope, basically you've, um, mailed back a naked ballot and it's not, you know, legal. They can't count it. And your vote is essentially tossed in the trash. Like, state to state, they're working on all these legal ways to be able to disqualify your vote. Um, But having to do so much of it through the postal system now with a guy who has shown, you know, he's not very um, good at hiding his intentions. No, not at all. Pretty Like, he got in there, and he ripped all that shit out before anybody could even consider giving him a confirmation hearing. And then when they finally talked to him about it, he was like, oh, yeah, well, you know, we're trying to save money. And I thought that would be the best way to do it. And he's like, but I'm not putting it back. Just very flatly, I'm, I'm not going to do it. He knows that he doesn't have to. He's not going to be mandated. Um, Knowing even then it, that a lot
0: of the election ballots would be going through the, the, the USPS. I mean, they knew that in July when he took office.
1: Yeah, but now you've got people who are trying to, you know, kind of make it easier for voters to be able to get their ballots in. So they've set up these you know, official drop-off boxes for people to go and be able to, and that's another way they've been, you know, trying to control the vote in that sense. Uh, Texas comes to mind, you know, one county ballot drop-off box, you know, whether there's a thousand people in your county or 5 million people five in your county, people. There, there's only one box, you know, that sounds like hell on earth. Dude. I think that's exactly what you said in your last pod was because of where we live in Rhode Island, imagine everybody in the state of Rhode Island having to get to one drop-off box. I wouldn't vote. I couldn't do it. I don't have the time to allocate to do that. We'd be
0: sitting in traffic for six hours, you know, easily. every day. I mean, <laughs> sometimes that's a normal con- day.
1: <laughs> for real, they continue to try to take these, you know, legal steps to be able to say your voice doesn't count, or just make it generally harder for you to get your voice or your ballot in. Um, it's it's kind of annoying to me that they've taken all these steps to make it more difficult to the point where you know, I'm going to try to go vote early on Monday. Um, that's my plan for now. But I considered, you know, maybe I just go on election day. But another voter suppression kind of tactic that they used as of this, you know, most recent presidential debate not the town halls but the debate a week previous um, when asked to denounce white supremacy and the Proud Boys. And, you know, instead of full on doing that, um unequivocally he instead told them to uh what was it stand stand back stand back and stand by Yep. Um, and implored those supporters to go to the polls and i think he said watch very carefully
0: watch very carefully yep it it blew my eye i I was watching it
1: live and it just blew my mind and i just thought to myself this guy wants his you know his supporters his you know big pro second amendment guys to go out there and make sure that no tomfoolery is happening at the ballots with their guns that sounds like an intimidating situation for anybody like i like my voting place in a normal year is is at a church like i'm trying to think of rolling up to the church to go vote and there's just like a small militia of dudes i went to high school with who all have rifles just standing out there with their trump signs yep that doesn't sound super inviting to me. That's another, um, you know, uh, example of intended voter suppression.
0: Exactly. Um, it's voter intimidation at its finest.
1: So that kind of brings me to my next natural point. I realize I'm a little wordy and chatty or whatever, so I appreciate you sticking with good. me. But number three on my list, and this one, probably a little bit more personal to me than most of the other things on this list, but. It's just the open um, association with or inability to shun, um, you know, the Proud Boys, the Nazis, the white supremacists in our country. And, um, you know, he kind of casually deflects the questions and he's like, yeah, yeah, I denounce it, whatever. Knowing full well that he's not going to give them the satisfaction of just making the statement of, you know, cut it out. I don't support you, you know, whichever organization. And knowing um, if he were to do that, he would lose support with his base, he would deflate people who are very passionate and support him um, You know, probably a lot more strongly than a, you know, a motivated democratic activist would support their you know, respective candidates. He knows he's turning off the most polarizing, powerful parts of his base if he were to denounce those people. Um, me, living in that, again, Dragon Ball world, uh, last year we had an incident in our weird fandom. Um, with uh, a voice actor who, you know, creepy old guy, basically, who, you know, was grooming some young girls and being creepy at conventions, trying to, you know, meet up with chicks in hotel rooms afterwards who were underage, stuff like that. But it eventually brought out a big part of, um, you know, the anti-Me Too movement. Um, And those chuds, basement-dwelling chuds who blindly support this not super great voice actor, um, to the end of the earth and just like the harassment that um people in that not I didn't get it too badly. I did lose my Facebook page of over five thousand likes, which sucked, Ooh. but yeah, that one sucked. But I had friends who got doxxed. I had friends who had people drive by their houses, mailboxes knocked over, stuff like that. Um To know that those people are essentially these same people that now in, in 20, when most of that happened, it was early 2019. So almost two years now. But I saw how those people used their online bullying and intimidation tactics to make these people's lives miserable as they could. Um... Now I see so much of that. Now that I'm more aware of it, because I was in it for a you know a non political reason, at least non political in, in terms of you know related directly to Trump. Um, Me too. You could probably still classify that as a political movement, but whatever. I digress from that. Um, seeing them use those tactics in that realm, and now seeing them use the same type of you know fear and intimidation tactics uh, for for in the name of Trump in 2020, it just. It makes me more angry than most.
0: Yeah, And I th- I think something that people don't think about is, you know, in that first debate, we saw him say the, the stand back and stand by and everyone kind of realized that that was a kind of a call to action for the Proud Boys. And after that, you know, it doesn't matter if he says he denounces white supremacy because he said it in the first debate. And then last week he said, oh, well, you know, I denounce white supremacy. You know, what's the next question? And he just wants to move on. And at that point it's like i feel like it's unspoken he's he's made the pledge for his supporters in the first debate they understand now that he needs to you know uh you no know, go up against white supremacy denounce white supremacy and so he does it but it's it's meaningless it doesn't matter it, it, he's not actually turning those people off he's he's placating them essentially and and it's it's a really dangerous game like you said and there are people out there who will do extreme things like like the like the kid in Kenosha. You know, I know that he wasn't necessarily, you know, affiliated with any of these groups specifically, but it's that kind of behavior or the Gretchen Whitmer situation. It's that kind of behavior. But when you hear the president talking about it, it's very
1: easy to go from a 4chan forum or an online chat room with your ten anime buddies spread out among the tri state area to, you know, formalizing a plan and and going ahead and and enacting these things. Uh, it's scary. The Gretchen Whitmer thing is is concerning, and I I don't think that would have happened to her, uh, if it was a dude. I I do understand the governor of Virginia; there was a plot out for him as well, um, but nothing was actually carried out. But I bet you, if Gretchen Whitmer was a middle aged dude, that wouldn't happen, Democratic or Republican or not. It's because she's uh, an attractive, you know, white lady who is you know flexing some you know stringent lockdown procedures in Michigan. That these dudes felt that they you know had a right to be able to go in and do that and try her in a different state like get the fuck over yourselves for somebody who for, for um for a group of people who are all about like eugenics and the master race and you know breeding up and all that bullshit the people who tend to support these groups are not good looking people there are people who should stay in their mom's basement and i wish that they would shut up and not be on twitter anymore what do you think, Jerry? Well,
0: that's where, but that's where they are. And but but what's scary, you know, I saw the, the group that was um, you know involved in that plot with Governor Whitmer. They they released videos of them, you know, conducting live fire training for the plot. And and I think I think it's a little bit not dangerous, but I think we're a little bit disillusioned because we think right that that's the perception that these are guys are in their basement, they're what you know whatever playing poker and you know, just whatever, it's just like, you know, talk over the weekend, like, oh, you know, know, fuck the governor and all this other shit, like, oh, you know, fuck these regulations. When they go to the extent of organizing, making plots in those in those very same basements and then conducting live fire training to execute a plot to kidnap and potentially murder their governor, it's like, okay, these are regular. You know, for all intents and purposes, these are regular Americans, these these are these are average everyday joes these are not special forces and so it's, it's a little bit scary to me that when you empower those people when you say things in your tweets like uh free michigan i, I think was you know trump's trump's tweet and, uh, again it's a call to action you are telling your average everyday gun-owning citizen that they can take up arms against their quote-unquote tyrannical government And they think they have a constitutional right, and so you're building a academically based foundation for them to execute these plans. And it's uh, it's something that hopefully, if Biden is in office, we can just move away from real fast, like just cut the rhetoric and and move away from. And you hope that's enough. Uh, At least I do, but uh, something tells me it's not necessarily the case.
1: I think one of the things that makes it tough to differentiate is that regardless of who ends up winning the election, is These white supremacist groups have a very close proximity, unfortunately, to police uh, in a lot of different ways. Like There's been multiple reports of actual police uh, officers being found out to be associated members of the Proud Boys or whatever other racist organizations. And that's not a new thing. That's a story that's as old as our country, unfortunately. But when it comes to the ability to... Or or, or like the kind of permission slip that the cops get when they see, you know, these guys taking up arms and exercising their constitutional rights or form of militia, but they know that it's because they're not coming after the cops. They're coming after people who are, you know, kind of upset with how cops have been conducting themselves. Um, The fact that, you know, police and these white supremacist groups now have this enemy in common, you know, this... However you want to you know, quantify it, BLM or just left-wing activists or whatever, people who are calling for defund the police, that's a common enemy that the police now have with these Proud Boys. So the unification of those two fronts, are just the, the close proximity and now seemingly unification when you look at a place like Kenosha, um, where th- there's reports of the cops welcoming those militias and saying, hey, man, you guys are great for being here. We, we really appreciate your help. Yep. And then letting Kyle Rittenhouse piece out of there and go back to his home over state lines after he told them I just shot somebody, and they let him skate like that's really concerning. So regardless of who is the next president, I don't think it's easy to just you know clean out those those connections or those ties or 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 sever those ties between the two. I don't think it's ever going to be that easy or that black and white. Um, What drives me bananas about the Democrats' message on police reform. Is that the phrase uh, you know? Is, is defund the police? Um, defund the police implies that they don't want the police to get money anymore, um, which is is not what that is about. It's just about a reallocation of funds and their responsibilities uh, or the things that we ask police officers to be responsible
0: for. Exactly, and and so it's it's really it's really concerning. I could do a series of podcasts on what we need to do for police reform. But I think, you know, like you said, there are these links and these connections, because at the same time that we're having the COVID lockdown, we have racial uh, turmoil within the country. Uh, You know, we've we've got essentially a, a major civil rights movement going on where there are calls for action for the police to reform their ways. The Democrats and Republicans actually both put forth bills. I think the Republicans bill was pretty weak. Neither has passed. Neither of those bills have passed. So despite everything that's gone on, we have not reformed any police practices in this country. And so we haven't changed anything. And it's essentially this administration saying, well, it's on the police officers to, you know, police themselves. And, oh, yeah, we need to change. But then they don't do anything about it. And then you get situations where they're letting a kid who just murdered someone run down the road, even though he said it, he murdered someone. And I know that's not representative of all police, Um, and, and I do know that there are good cops out there, but this is institutional. It's systematic. It's built in to the fabric of the country. Like you said, this, this is just the continuation of a tradition that's been going on for 400 years that's been allowed to exist on, you know, the sub level of society. And we just have not done enough. And like you said, you know, sometimes the Democrats need a better message Because saying things like defund the police alienates almost automatically some people because it's a it's a trigger term. It's a trigger term for for conservatives.
1: I think the ways in which police are trained is really at root of of the problem in a lot of this, like defund the police doesn't necessarily um, speak to the need to how the need to reform um, the way in which we train and, and hire police officers. Um, it's bananas to me that, you know, six to 12 months in the police academy and you can, you know, be a police officer and enforce the law, but you know, you need to go to three years of law school after you've already got your bachelor's to be able to practice it. Like, I don't think it makes sense for you to be able to be out there with lethal force enforcing laws in a system that largely, um, you know, looks to policing as a revenue generator, unfortunately, um, I don't think it would make sense to have that continued mindset and how we you know hire and staff for police officer positions. It doesn't make sense to continue to go forward with that, regardless of a a, a you know a defund or, or reform you know overhaul within the policing world. So both of those things need to be talked about and looked at concurrently um, to do one without the other is completely pointless in my opinion yep um it's it, it just it sucks that there are people who go into that line of work for noble causes. And then there are other people who go into that line of work because, you know, they had a less than awesome life. They felt like they got bullied and they want to be in a, in a position of authority. And I think if we reduce the idea of policing being around a position of authority and instead of authority, just somebody who's there to help as opposed to enforce, I think maybe that kind of helps mitigate a little bit of, of the weeding out issue, you right. know, of bad candidates to be a police officer. So, um, Police reform is is something I think about a lot because, like I said, met a lot of cops. They are not bad guys, but unfortunately, you know, one bad apple spoils the barrel as is, is the rest of the phrase. So,
0: yep. No, absolutely. You're absolutely right on that.
1: Um, All right. So that's uh, and again, I've been super chatty. I appreciate you hanging with me, Jerry. But this is the that's what's what five through. Let's let's do a recount down. So five was botched covid response. Four was voter suppression. Three was these Nazi proud boy bastards. Two, police reform, uh, reform the police. And then my biggest issue. Number one. I think. Number
0: one. Number one biggest reason to abandon your Trump vote. Or, you know, not
1: even really um, a reason to abandon it, but just a reason to like reconsider everything you're seeing right now is just the blatant disinformation campaigns that are being carried out by foreign governments, namely Russia. Um, It's. Wild to me, and I think again he gets the pass because in 2016 he was still candidate Trump, not President Trump. But I remember when he was in that debate with Hillary Clinton, wherein he asked uh, China or Russia to, to to look for those stolen emails or whatever. And I just remember, what the hell are you doing? You you are literally asking and you know for foreign interference in our elections. But like I just thought, it's this big dumb idiot trump getting caught up in the theatrics of it all and you know sure enough later on that night there were several different you know hacking attempts on the dnc servers and all that and it's not been something that he's shied away from ever since in terms of you know cybersecurity attacks on our on our institutions he's never challenged putin um,
0: on it he's never even brought it up he, he's too
1: afraid the big strong man donald trump a man who exudes manliness and it loves dictators like little chubby boy kim jong-un mm-hmm. um he's afraid to ask putin on you know whether or not being interfered in our elections but he did say like i asked him he said no and i believe him right like that
0: right really really presidential <laughs> oh, okay. just take him at his word believe him over everybody else and end of story good to go the world is fine
1: yeah so you know not only his inability to push back on you know the government and the cyber attacks but it's just all of the um, fake stories that not only I mean because those are th- that would be a difficult thing for them to be able to try to control, right? Um, I I know that private um, companies like well, Facebook's a public company, but uh, companies like Facebook and Twitter are you know starting to control disinformation a little bit on their platforms. Probably you know way too late for that, but um, how do you control something like that? Is one question. The problem with this administration is that they don't even ask that question. They full-on embrace this, these disinformation campaigns to try to distract from the actual you know, realities of the things that are going on. Right, because even, uh, even
0: if we give the Trump administration the benefit of the doubt, which, by the way, I do now, but, but let's just be nice and give them the benefit of the doubt. Let's say that Russia is conducting these operations on their own with no help from anyone inside the U.S. There's no foreign agent. There's no passing off of information. Donald Trump is just simply opportunistic, and he doesn't have any line that he draws. So if Russia is just happen, you know, just happens to be hacking, and that information just happens to help him, he's always going to be willing to take advantage of that information. So you know, when all the defense agencies say this is going on, and Donald Trump says, "Well, we're not going to do anything about it because you know it helped me win an election." You know, he didn't say it outright, but we all know that's what's going on. There, there's no way. There's nothing we can do. You know, our our government is then complicit in the action. Even if they aren't actively involved in the action, which I which I think they are, I'm I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I just think there is enough information on the table through the Mueller investigation through the impeachment trials, and now through this new uh, Rudy Giuliani, Hunter Biden, FBI investigation that's going on, because that story is absurd all on its own. Uh, it, there's too much there there for there not to be something nefarious going on within the administration. But again, if we just give them the benefit, doubt, at a minimum, Trump would never turn down the opportunity to use information that is harmful to his opponent.
1: No. And I think a lot of my questioning with Trump, right, is it stems from the idea of does he do this stuff maliciously, like knowingly working in tandem with the Russian government? Or is he just, you know, a true, useful idiot to the Russian government and the Russian government giving him the gentle push into the Oval Office through, you know, disinformation campaigns through Facebook and things like that over the last few or during the first election cycle? The idea of him guiding him into office, the the Russians know like he's gonna do everything wrong and probably leave America in a worse position than we could have ever put them in ourselves. So is it w- which of the two is it? Is it he's working hand in hand because he knows he's got financial you know uh, incentives on the other side of his presidency from a foreign government, or is he just that dumb that he doesn't realize he's carrying out the will and destroying the reputation of America? within all of the, you know, on the world
0: stage. And and not even just the reputation. So one of the things that's been said about these disinformation campaigns is they're trying to split and divide the American people, which, congratulations, it's already happened. It may have happened Hmm. before any type of interference. But the fact of the matter is, if we we play hypothetical here, let's say Donald Trump wins the election, they find out there's election interference, and let's say Donald Trump was the responsible president, who said, okay... This may have benefited me, but that's not good for our democracy. So as president, I'm going to make sure that something like that can never cast doubt on our process again. Let's fix our election process. We're going after Putin in a strong way. We're nipping this in the bud. His supporters would never have doubted that election interference happened. They would have accepted that, OK, maybe our candidate got in with, with this assistance, but look what he's doing to fix it. He's trying to keep our democratic institutions in check. And then on the left, we can say, well, you know, Hillary lost, but Donald Trump is doing everything within his power to protect our elections. Oh, just that act in itself could have stopped so much division just in the American electorate. But instead, and- we were forced to endure the, the Russian hoax. We were forced to endure the Mueller investigation and the division that caused. And then we we're forced to endure a, an impeachment as a byproduct of all of that, and all of that just serves Russia's purposes, China's purposes, you know, kind of by proxy. And and so all he had to do was admit that, okay, it happened. We need to fix it. That's it. Yeah. It's that easy. And I think,
1: I think that would imply that he would be working knowingly with whatever foreign agency or whatever foreign government, right? If he did come out after the election and be like, oh, I won by, you know, uh, foreign interference – well, that's messed up, and I'm going to protect the institutions of America and make sure that the next election is a free and fair one. Had he done that, I would have probably had my red flag go up and say, "Oh, that's that's kind of concerning." He's aware of it. He's a uh, he's acknowledging that this has been uh, something in his benefit, and now he's saying that he's going to do something about it. Whenever he says he's going to do something about something, he ultimately doesn't do it. So, oh, never. That leads me. That leads me to my next point is because he's so quick. Shit, there it is. He' was good good for timing. That. Because, she, because she Because he's so quick to deny it and just dismiss it out of hand as like not a real thing, it tells me that he doesn't believe it's a real thing because he thinks he's genuinely like that big of a winner or whatever. Like he's not aware of how useful or, you know, in, in reality dumb uh, he is. Um, it, it, you know to, to let me try that again he's not aware of how useful an idiot he is to a foreign government and in reality how dumb he actually is um because he just he he views himself in that you know crazy larger than life um image who you know it's 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 impossible that he would have needed help from russia to win it but then he goes out of his way it's just crazy to me that the right wing now openly kind of praises russia like If you said that to a Republican in like nineteen eighty six, they they would have kicked you in the balls. In
0: twenty twelve, Mitt Romney said to Barack Obama on a debate stage that Russia was the largest geopolitical threat to America. A Republican running for president in twenty twelve.
1: There you go. Even better. That's a that's a way more timely reference than the one I had about getting kicked in the hypothetical nuts in nineteen eighty six. But um, I don't think that he is um. I think maybe the people around him are insidious or smart enough to try to carry out some of these things. And I think that ultimately that's why everybody around him continues to go down, but it's an almost impossible to tie it to not only a sitting president, but somebody who is so knowingly stupid that it would be maybe tough to try to trace it back without being able to have, you know, his son-in-law or Stephen Miller or Steve Bannon or um, campaign manager there, the first one, uh, any of those guys go down for him because he can't handle things on his own. He is kind of simple. Like, that's as nicely as I can put it. He's kind of simple.
0: That is the nicest thing you can say.
1: Yeah, kind of simple. And that's like not even um, taking into consideration the potential maliciousness in his heart. Like, that's just me giving him the 100% benefit of the doubt. He's just a simple dude. In reality, he's kind of a dick. So if
0: there's anything you take from this episode, just just remember, at a minimum, that Donald Trump is simple. We We have covered... We've covered a ton. We covered we covered the news. We got a lot of your perspective on on current events. We got through the debate. We talked about. We
1: didn't get into conspiracy theories, thankfully. All I'll say is that we if did not. you know you're really concerned about QAnon, uh, maybe be concerned about those 545 missing kids uh, at the border. Like you know, kids a kid, right? Um, if you're concerned that a Democrat might be um, you know eating the kids' blood to be able to prolong their youth or whatever. Uh, American kid, migrant kid, whatever.
0: Maybe you should be concerned, QAnon fam. All right. Maybe it's that's a rabbit hole for another day, but we might be hashtag save the children. <laughs> we might be able to go down that rabbit hole. So cheese pizza is obviously cold, Jerry. Obviously. Everybody knows <laughs> that. So, uh, to, yeah. So, so to wrap up, uh, you have a call to action here, and it looks yeah. like it, well, to me, it's an obvious one, but you should let everybody know about it.
1: Yeah. So I realized that this episode probably aired a little bit more on the um, negative side. Like there's not always a clear way for us to suggest we wish the Biden campaign handled this you know, differently because, you know, how are they going to handle white supremacists uh, differently? They're going to denounce them straight up. We would never be in some of these situations if we had a Biden administration uh, in play right now. Um, so it wasn't always easy to try to frame it in a more positive spin with some of this. The biggest call to action I've got, and it's something I went off on on one of my episodes for Super Dope a few weeks back, is and it, it was after um, the presidential debate. Uh, a lot of people were kind of disgusted with how it played out overall. And they decided that that, for whatever reason, was the straw that broke the camel's back. And they now they had no choice but to vote third party uh, for Jorgensen. Um, they all think that they're libertarians all of a sudden. Um, and I can understand why that would be an easy stance for them to be able to adopt. Uh, you're not siding with, um, you know, one of the two unpopular seniors in America. And on the face of libertarianism, is a very easy like uh, Venn diagram of um, a thing that like kind of lines up with uh, most of your Facebook friends yep. are going to support one of these three things, whether it's uh, gay marriage, pro Second Amendment, or legal weed that's the packaging with which the libertarian platform is 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 put in and put out on social media. We 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 want free um we want legal weed and we want guns and gay marriage and, and that's the meme, right? Um the biggest pitch for libertarianism is, you know, basically the free market will correct everything. Um which is a a a really simple and easy way to say that they would like Capitalism without any That's rules, right, unchecked,
0: um, unhindered capitalism for the yeah. win,
1: unfettered. Yeah, unfettered. So I said that to somebody. I, they were like, "Man, you don't know what libertarianism is about." I'm like, "Yeah, dude. I just don't think unfettered capitalism is the best way for this country to go. Like, since the industrial revolution, like we ha- collectively have worked as a country for improvements in our work environments over the last, you know, 150 years. Um, basically, the the free market, as you put it." I mean, it's the same thing as unfettered capitalism. It's concerning to me that you don't know that, but you're a libertarian, but you're asking for a reset on capitalism, essentially, like to think that we do away with all these things and magically companies who have not treated us well as employees, you know, in the history of this country, to think that they're just suddenly going to choose to treat us well because, you know, they have to make sure that they get all the best talent or or whatever that thought process is there. It's mind blowing yep. to me. Um, you say goodbye to things like, um, you know, workers' unions, uh, labor labor unions. Uh, you say goodbye to things like child labor laws. Like, I, I don't think people realize that when they share the Joe Jorgensen memes, uh, that, that that's the kind of thing that they're promoting or saying that they support. I think a part of it is just, um, again. The packaging of it. Yeah, I support gay marriage. I support legal weed. I support, you know, second amendment. And it's easy for them to share that and get as many clicks, uh, you know, as many likes as they can on their Facebook status, whatever. Um, And that dopamine rush feels good because you get it from friends on both sides of the, uh, of the aisle and you feel like you're above the bipartisan bullshit or whatever, uh, or the partisan bullshit. So I get it. But it's, I don't know, your political identity is more than just a meme. And if you do feel strongly about something enough to be able to hit the share button, I wish you would also feel strongly enough to go read about it for fucking five minutes, man. Just five minutes. Libertarianism is not a very complicated thing to understand, in my opinion. And uh, people who seem to think that giving the control back to companies. That's the other thing that's kind of ironic is, is a lot of people who adopt the libertarianism feel like companies already have too much power in the current day America, but they're like, yeah, free market. Like they don't understand what they are supporting. It drives me bananas.
0: Oh, it's crazy. And on like, exactly. Like you said, five minutes when, so I first saw Joe Jorgensen's or Jorgensen's name come up on Facebook earlier this year. And I was immediately like, Oh no, here comes another third party candidate needs to nip this in the bud. Went to our website immediately. All you need to do is read our platform. All you need its literally deregulate everything. Get rid of the government. Like it's not feasible. Oh, by the way, no plans as to like how to replace those systems or like what we would have instead. Just It's all like subtraction. No addition. No. Well, yep. like, here's how we need to you know think about this moving forward. It's like, oh, just get rid get of the Department rid of, of Education. Oh, OK. Cool. It'll sort itself out. Yeah, exactly. So yes do your research it it's important to do and and but, you know but this applies to a lot of people generally because i feel like a lot of people who are unwilling to vote for biden who maybe don't like trump have never been to biden's website have they read his policies how many people are actually paying attention to these candidates policies we're voting for we're voting for people but but more so we're voting for policy i think trump is so bad that if you're a republican you should not vote for him purely on policy biden he's decent you can vote policy. Go look at his policies. Go look. And, and you know what? If you go to you know Jorgensen site and you're like, you know what? I love the equivalent of, you know, anarchy. I'm going to vote for it. Then absolutely go vote for it. But at least go read what you're voting for. You know, just because you like the meme, as you said, does not mean that you should cast your vote for that candidate. You got to do the research.
1: Yeah. So I, I guess the call to action here for me is, you know, don't throw your vote away on a third party this year. If you feel like you can't make your way out to the polls to go vote, I can kind of understand that. But I would still plead with you to get out there and vote for for Joe. If you're making your way to the poll and you vote third party, I, I would feel better if you just stayed home. Honestly, um, that isn't to say you don't have a right to exercise you know, your voice or whatever, but I feel like you're voting out of spite as a way to draw attention to something that is not what this is about right now. I understand wanting to make your statement and wanting to um you know continue to work toward uh, something beyond a two-party system and a government that works more for the people. Libertarianism is not that, but I understand you wanting to work for something in that vein of, you know, outside of the two-party system. Um any other year, I'd be like, "Yeah, I see you. That's cool, whatever." 2016 i kind of understood it i wasn't a huge fan of of voting for hrc either but um this year is, is too important to just throw your vote away arbitrarily like that um i think i've only met one person in real life who's like a real actual libertarian and he is like a doomsday prepper type who lives in the remote woods of not remote woods he and I'm not gonna say where he lives. He lives in Idaho. I won't say what country or town, whatever. What country? I won't say what city, town, whatever. But he's like one of those doomsday prepper types who has like a lot of things hoarded and saved just in case. He's the one dude who I've ever talked to about libertarianism, and I'm like, whatever, dude, you'll be fine if if the government, you know, isn't taking care of you anymore. Sounds about right. Anyone else I've tried to talk to about libertarianism has been like somebody who's just doing it to be. Um what's the word the uh, the devil's advocate or you know uh, just a natural contrarian yep um and or I, a I troll you this, Just you the troll online uh, i r l internet trolls go one of the polls that sounds like the start of a rap song that I wish I could finish, but i it's too important this year it uh, you, you can't discount the threat to our democracy and you know creeping um toward you know, authoritarian.
0: That's that's exactly what I was going to say, because as a raging liberal, I'm going to go a step further and I'm going to say our democracy is in the balance with this election. And I'm, yeah. I'm not usually someone who gets on that level. But Donald Trump has destabilized the Constitution. They've destabilized the Supreme Court. They've destabilized the justice system. They've destabilized institutions that we've never thought twice about trusting before. He's destabilized the media. He's destabilized everything. Our democracy is on the line. I say don't sit at home. Go vote and go vote for Joe Biden. Because if you sit at home... I and I've said this repeatedly, I am not reserving judgment this time. No way. I will tell you to your face, if Donald Trump gets elected and you tell me that you sat at home or you vote third party, I'm coming for you in a nice, politeful way that is not violent. It is just all theoretical and academic in nature. I'm not going to hurt anybody because I can't. I'm a very slight, small individual. But well, in that way, what drives me
1: bananas, bananas about what you just outlined, though, is it doesn't where we live in Rhode Island. We're going to be a blue state regardless. Like, and I have a lot of listeners in the states of Pennsylvania. I have a lot of listeners in the states of Michigan. I have from I have some from Wisconsin, like these big swing states that are like I'm imploring a few of my friends in, in Pennsylvania, like, make sure that you vote. Make sure it's in the secrecy envelope. You know, it's it's just maddening to me that. um you know it doesn't really matter what we do necessarily within our own individual states but like it boils down because the electoral college is such a flawed system to you know maybe 300,000 vote less than 300,000 votes so over the you know five or six states
0: it's- exactly
1: uh, so you can't go out and, you know, beat up people who vote third party in Rhode Island, Jerry. That would just be a, a losing effort because we would have already gotten those electoral votes it, anyway. Exactly. But Exactly.
0: Yep. And yep. that's that's the great good part and the terrible part about living in Rhode Island. We're going to go blue and we're helpless to help anywhere else. So, yeah, that isn't to say you
1: shouldn't still go out and vote if you live in Rhode Island. There are a lot of down ballot races or, you know, local town races uh, here in the East Bay where in which you want to make sure certain people don't get on you know, school committees. Yes.
0: Absolutely. Do your research Word. on your local candidates too. Listen to what people say. Yeah. So um, so th- this episode has gone a little longer, but for good reason because Kyle has been our first guest co-host here on the New Deal. We covered a ton of ground. The call to action is extremely relevant. So make sure you follow and listen to everything we say because we're right. Do it. We're right. Yes. Um, yes. so this has been the new deal. Uh episode number eight, I think, with kyle andre co-host please go check out dragon ball super dope uh kyle's podcast on your podcast provider of choice it's awesome content he's got a well-established uh following and obviously those people are fanatics so uh go listen to that uh that that podcast i am looking forward to joining you on your podcast uh to go over the other five points and uh thank hey. you so much for being here
1: Thanks, man. I can't wait to have you on the show next week and you can give my uh, audience a, a dose of, of rational, informed wisdom as opposed to me just yelling about Nazis and how much I hate There's value in that.
0: But yes, I, I, <laughs> I can't wait to be there. So, all right. Uh, awesome. Thanks, man. Uh, thanks, thanks everybody, for listening. I will talk to everyone next week and go vote.